Good afternoon, everybody. Today is February 23rd, 2018, and this is the 20th MRE podcast. I believe we are live. It's good to be here. Um, I do want to start with an apology for not getting up early today to do this at 9 a.m. Central Time, as I promised. And uh, partially, part of the reason is that, like, just this morning when I got up, um, I was super, super weary and tired, just my body. And so I knew that, first, I need to get some more rest, but didn't want to just kind of do this out of a feeling of obligation or, yeah, uh, those things. But really wanted to do it with a good heart and in a good mind. So it took, took some time this morning to rest. But also uh, mentally and spiritually and emotionally, it just took some time. Took a nice long shower, uh, got some breakfast in my tummy, even though it's like 1 p.m. right now, and got a a great cup of coffee. Uh, this is not Starbucks. I made it from home, but just using the reusable. And I'm not sponsored by Starbucks. That'd be really cool, though. Anyways, I uh, got a good cup of coffee this morning and and now looking forward to reading the first Corinthians, uh, the first epistle to the Corinthians by Paul. So today I'm going to be reading from ESV Reader Bible. I don't know if you guys ever seen these Bibles, but pretty much it's in five volumes of the whole Bible and it comes in these nice little Nice little sections, and this is a section as you can see right there. Um, oh, oh, it doesn't. Oh, it says right there, the epistles and revelation. So I'm reading from this, and sometimes nice to read from here because it feels like a book, and I really enjoy that. Um, and and so uh, the reason why I'm mentioning that is that I might not be able to give you uh, a chop chapter or verse. Because it does, it takes out all those things, and it's just in kind of like a book form, like a regular book. So I'll be reading the titles, the chapter titles, but maybe that could give you a clue to where I'm at. But excuse me, as you can see, I'm still warming up my my vocal. But let's get started. Let me read. Uh, let me pray for us, and let's jump into the First Corinthians. And it shouldn't take too long, as it's it's a fairly short letter. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that your mercy and your grace is renewed each day. And thank you that um, today I was able to sleep in and uh, get some physical rest. And now I am excited to receive from you, from your bread of life. And I pray that help me to get a bigger vision of who you are as I read this letter that was written uh, many years ago, but Lord, that is still relevant, still it applies to us. So thank you for your grace again. Thank you for this word. Help me to read it well and communicate its message as clear as possible. We love you. We thank you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I think it's chapter one. I have no idea, but the first epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. Paul, called by the will of God 
to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenius, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you are enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there will be no divisions among you, but that you will be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none... Excuse me. So that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of cross is folly to those who are perishing, but, but to to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy, destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, but both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the wrong, strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, 
boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ, him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling with my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do not, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret, a hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages of our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written... What no eye have seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even in the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. That is really good. Hey, Henson, uh, glad that you're joining us. Hello, so glad you're tuning in, uh, reading the Word of God. Let's continue. And I hope it's making sense. He's really talking about the difference between the wisdom of God and wisdom of human beings. And his whole argument is based on that God has far greater and is definitely different. And that's what he's been bringing and where the Corinthians need to hear that. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as a spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready yet, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Apollos and I follow Paul, are you not being merely humans or human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each, I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. 
according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how it builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Through he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Uh, this is fascinating because now that I am seeing it from the beginning of the argument and tracing it, and this is the beauty of why we read from the beginning to the end, you know, he's really talking about our work. If it's done through the wisdom of God, it's going to show up. It's going to be eternal. And so, you know, often I, I've read this passage and I only think like, oh, you mean the things that we do such as, you know, serving the poor or doing humanitarian works, which again, those were great things, but are they being through our human wisdom, kind of our merely human flesh desires, or are they being through God's wisdom? And there's a huge difference. How is it get tested at the end of the age when Jesus comes back again? And, and so, I, I'm, again, I'm really appreciating uh, the continuation of Paul's argument here and just the beauty of that. So let's, let's continue. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in, it, in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquainted. It is the Lord who judges me, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. He will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one receive his commendation, uh, commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, not that none of you may be puffed up in the favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. With that, you did reign 
so that we might share the, uh, the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become spectacle to the world, to angels, to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly, poorly dressed and buffed and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. We per- when persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Hi, Austin. Uh, it's great that you're tuning in. So glad that you're able to read the Word of God together. Uh, we are in the first episode of Paul to the Corinthians. I have no idea where we are because I'm reading through ESV Reader. I think we're in chapter like four. I might be wrong, but glad that you're joining us. Let's continue. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? You know, I I love this uh, section right here, this piece, when Paul talks about uh, just, you know, all these things that he's hearing about the Corinthians, these arrogant people, this wise people. And he's saying, look, I'm going to come and I'll tell you what sort of power they have. And isn't that true? You know, we hear so many people talking on TV, on YouTube, on Twitch, whatever, you know, we hear a lot of people talking, but are we discerning the power behind what they're saying? And as Christians, we have something greater in that we can communicate with power that's going to impact people. And that's the truth of the gospel that we have. And that's just a beautiful thing. Moving on, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant out you not rather to mourn let him who has done this to be removed from among you so i believe he's getting into other issues in the corinthians Um, and i wonder if that's all rooted in the wisdom that he's been talking about and so let's continue and if you have your bible i think you can see the titles um if if some something talks about sexual morality i think that we're in that section but let's let's go on For though absent in body, I'm present in spirit. As if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. 
For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. There's a a lot to say in this passage right here. Um, Just a word of warning though. Don't take these verses out of context. And, and um, I don't want to go into it right now because I want to finish reading the letter. But this does not mean how it means uh, in terms of how we're supposed to purge evil out of our, you know, for our world, our churches. And so just want to put, put an uh, asterisk on that saying, uh, make sure you understand the historical context where Paul is coming from. This does not mean to not love the sinners and all that stuff. All right. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go law before the unrighteous instead of saints? Or do you not know that the saints would judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try tribal cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to you, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother. That before unbelievers to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You not be de- do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, adulterers, excuse me, that word was hard to say, and I burped at the same time, that's not good, nor men with practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkard, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Mm, I like that. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined 
to a prostitute becomes one body with her. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord become one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are brought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It's important to recognize that, yes, Paul is emphasizing a lot on the sexual immoral sins. However, um, and that's probably because that has been elevated, just like in our culture, right? Like, you know, um, things being sexualized and uh, just the, the concept of Eros love being elevated among any other loves. Um, and so Paul is addressing it directly, but also remember that he's talking about, you know, idolater, adulterer, um, thieves, greediness, drunkard, revilers. You know, so like there's many other things that Bible actually emphasizes as well. Let's continue. I think he's moving to another matter here because I see that the next line says, Now concerning the matters by which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her, her, her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and the likewise the wife to, the, to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her, her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, as it is they are holy. But if the unbelieving parent, a partner, separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Um, I'm thankful that Paul is giving practical instructions for the Corinthians. However, again, 
let's not take these verses out of context and apply to our context because their historical context is very different. Their understanding of marriage, what that meant for the society, all these things is very different. So uh, just, again, word of caution, right? When we're reading these concrete steps, and even Paul says, like, this is not from God, but this is like Paul speaking in his wisdom uh, from God to address some of the issues. So hopefully that's helpful. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call called uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedom of the Lord. Likewise, he who has free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You are brought you are bought with a price and do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. Um, And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had gone. And those who mourn as though they are not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they are not rejoicing. And those who uh, buy as though they are they have no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they have no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the, of the Lord. Sorry about that. You know, this is the one downside of drinking something as you're reading. You constantly burp, but also the coffee tastes so good. Let's continue. <clears throat> uh, lost my place. All right, I'm sorry. Okay. But a married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order that to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If, you, if anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined them uh, this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then... He who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. 
only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. God, I love Paul and his uh, reasonings here. Now, concerning food offered to idols. Yeah, we're switching gears to food from marriage, singleness, and sexual immorality before, and a bunch of other sins. Mm. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Ooh, that's very deep. That's very deep. Therefore, as to the eating of the food offered to idols... Yeah, I just love that. That kind of sets the tone of these instructions that we're about to receive. Therefore, as to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods and many lords, yet for us there's only one God, the Father, from whom all things for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. Amen. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through formal association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. Their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be be encouraged? If his conscience is weak to eat food offered to the idols, and so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brother's and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother humble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, this is a great thing. Um, hello, Sun Choi. Uh, so glad you're joining us and listening to the Word of God. Uh, we are somewhere in the middle of the epistle of the Corinthians. No idea where we are at because I'm reading from ESB Reader, as I said before in the chat. But um, with this point, I love it because Paul's concern is not just uh, what they believe in, but really leaning into their conscience about how they could become a stumbling block just because of their beliefs. And so even... um, for us, what this means is that, you know, I could I could be wearing a sandal to church because for me, I'm not a super conservative and I don't think you need to wear such thing, you know, that people could come as who they are. However, as a leader of the church, if that could become a stumbling block for those who might value uh, su- such attire for church, I will gladly let that go and not become a stumbling block for that person to meet God. So the priority is not just on the truth. And I mean, the priority is on the truth. But in terms of uh, application, the one of the priority that comes is how are you 
not becoming a stumbling block for someone that you love because isn't that what real love is? So it's like meeting people where they're at and those uh, who might value sandals can be okay, right? They're going to be okay with someone dressing up nicely uh, for that's going to uh, have an open door for those. I hope that makes sense and that gives you more clarity. Wow, uh, let's just keep reading. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. <coughs> this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake. Because the plowman should plow in hope and thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, it is too much if we reap material things from you. If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than putting an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In that same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I will am still entrusted with the stewardship. What then is my reward? that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, as so as not to make uh, full use of my right in the gospel. And so now Paul is moving into his argument of giving the offering uh, for the apostles and for Jerusalem and things like that. And I just noticed that he is grounding that in the uh, the situation with the offer, the offer, food offered to idols and what they should do about that. And I need to study a little bit more, but I love that connection of what, again, what is a priority? And for Paul, like, he's like, I can demand money from you. I have all the right to, again, for historical context. But he's like, no, I'm not going to. But at the same time, he's indirectly asking them, right? Very interesting. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became 
uh, as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessing. And we know Paul's motivation. His MO is to save people, to meet where they're at. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we are an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. A lot of reference to the Exodus. Um, but it's beautiful how Paul is unpacking what they meant. It's like you're studying the Old Testament as you're reading New Testament. Now, these things took place an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And the 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, not grumble. As some of them did, were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, that, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the age has come. Therefore, let anyone think that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has for overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's a beautiful promise of God, by the way, that he knows us and that he allows temptations, right? He's not the one who's tempting us, as we know in the book of James. But when he allows temptation, so when we face temptation, the beautiful promise of God is that he's, he knows us and he's going to block, actually, uh, the evil one from tempting us in a way that we cannot escape out of it. So every time you're tempted, praise the Lord because there's an escape route. We just have to see it um, and, and trust that. That we can fight the temptation. Amen. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's only one bread. We who are many are one body. For we are partakers or partake. We all partake of the one bread. Consider people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or what an idol is anything? No, I implied that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons, not to God. I do not want you to be participant with demons. 
You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and cup of demons. You cannot partake the table of the Lord and, and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? He's kind of bringing back the circle about the food offered to idols. All things are lawful, but all things, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner as you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. It's that simple. Uh, for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. See that distinguishment he's keep making? The wisdom of Christ, wisdom of man, conscience of you, but the conscience of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in any, anything or everything. I do not seek my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am Christ. Now, I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the tradition even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head was shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover let her cover her head. For a man ought to not ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is a glory of men. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for women, but women for men. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of men, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from men, so man is now born of men, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears a long hair, it is a disgrace for him? For if a woman has long hair, is it her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Uh, this is highly, highly debated uh, passage and i won't go into all the things but really want to encourage you to uh, read some historical context of where paul is coming from uh, in these passages and what they actually mean not to take this again put into our context i feel like that's like the thing that i'm keep saying 
just as a warning. And I've seen this done many times to oppress people, to abuse people with words, and it's it's just disgusting. It's nasty. Um, even Paul says, like, he's looking out for other people. His intention is no way to oppress people. So, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe in it part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. So Paul's getting at the problems, the conflicts that he is hearing about the supper. Uh, or we call it uh, communion. One goes hungry, another, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I command you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things. I will give directions when I come. You know, this is one of the reasons why I love that at our church, we actually wait for everyone to receive uh, the bread and the wine uh, to take the communion together. And I know that sometimes I'm like just holding the bread. I'm like, oh, this looks so tasty. But it says wait for one another and, and that we can take the communion together. Um, I, I know that's not the main point of this passage, but one of the reasons why we take the bread together is to recognize uh, the communal, the collective body, that communion is not just for yourself, that we're not just judging ourselves or what we have done and, and confessing that, which is good. We confess our sins, but we're also recognizing ways that corporately we have to repent. And so there's that aspect and taking the bread and the wine together. Now we're getting into the spiritual gifts. Um, and I believe, because I remember where this is, I think we're in chapter uh, 12 now, right? 12 or 11. Can someone confirm that on the chat? If you have a regular Bible, right? Okay. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However you were led, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. 
And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Hmm. I, love the, I love the Trinity here. The mention of the Spirit, the Lord, and God, and how that... Wow, I want to... I'm gonna let me grab my highlighter real quick. I want to come back to this. Uh, sorry for the little delay here, but I'm gonna highlight this. There's something there that I want to come back to later. And thank you, Hinson, for checking in. And uh, he's not sure, but that's okay. I think we're around there. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit of the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another ability of distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one, has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one members, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the, uh, the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where should be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. What a horrific kind of imagery, right? Like, could you imagine a body, just an eye? It's just a gigantic eyeball. Ooh, um, it makes sense though, right? The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Or the contrary, the parts of the body that seems to be weaker and dispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty with our more presentable parts do not require. But God has uh, so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoices together. I, I love this picture uh, that Paul brings attention to. Paul ain't a doctor, but he understands our body. And it's kind of like in our church today, we elevate and put honor on those who have knowledge, uh, those who have PhD master degrees, all these things, right? And if we only favor to those kind of people, our church will turn into literally just a brain. Uh, and that's really sad. Uh, so when we talk about diversity, we're really encapsulating all, all peoples, uh, ethnicity, uh, even socially constructed race, uh, socioeconomics, um, what else there? Gender. 
even to go to say sexuality, right? Like even to uh, be able to welcome those and and to be able to have conversations. I mean, just it goes on and on the 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 question and the conversation of diversity. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And the God appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, all, all prophets, all, all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still more excellent way. Now I know we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and then of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith and as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not loved, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for the prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part we prophesy. Sorry. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in mirror dim, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part that I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct, distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? If the bulge gives a distinct sound who will get ready for battle so with yourselves if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible how will anyone know what is said for you will be speaking into the air there are doubtlessly many different languages in the world none is without meaning but if i do not know the meaning of the language 
I will be foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourself, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Thanks, Harry, for letting us know where we are at. Um, yeah, that's where we are. And so glad that you're here and joining us. Therefore, one who speaks in tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak word, five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. It's, it's beautiful. Again, Paul is putting emphasis on how are you with your spiritual gifts building up the church. The question is not, how much of spiritual gifts you have and you can exercise that. But you're missing the point if the spiritual gifts are being used to elevate yourself rather than um, building up the church to edify other people. And um, yeah, I won't go into even sharing my experience with speaking in tongues and things like that, but that could be a great Great segment, actually, because I know recently someone asked me that question, too, about prophecy and tongues and things like that. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in, uh, in evil, but your thinking may be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of the foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders, unbelievers enter, would they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and all an unbeliever or outsiders enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his hearts are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers, when you come together... Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the other weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesize one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Great reminder right here. Exactly what I was saying. As in all the churches of saints, the woman should keep silent in the churches. All right, here we go again. Um, you know, every time things like this is written, I cringe because just just so easy to take that out of context, isn't it? Um, like, really, the word of God says that? Um, yeah. 
So just just bear with me uh, as as we read through this, okay? And like I said before, uh, let's understand the historical context why Paul is saying this. Where are we at? Oh, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done recently and in order. Harry, I love that. Out of context, trigger opportunities. Yes, uh, it's so true. Out of context, it's, it's just bad. Um, again, I'm taking every word in scripture seriously because it's inerrant. But uh, that does not, it, it, that means that you should take it seriously in its context. And this book was written long, long time ago. Uh, for the audience of the Corinthians and for us to assume a lot of things and impose our understanding, our ideology, that's actually very disgraceful to scripture itself. And so that's why I'm saying, yeah, out of context, trigger opportunities. Hopefully I won't be triggered uh, on live stream. Now, uh, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, and though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Ah, uh, But this is the beautiful good news, isn't it? Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any one of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. I, I love that. I love that, uh, or I love these words. I'm just going to highlight one thing. Um, what I love it is that just the power of the grace of God and just reminded how Jesus says uh, in one of the parables that, you know, the one who sinned more will understand the grace of God more. And that's what Paul is saying. Like he experienced a greater grace of God because not, not, not so that he can sin. Uh, and he talks about that in Romans. We talked about that last Friday, right? Not so that he can sin more, but he understood grace of God more because of the ways that he lived and persecuted the church and how that actually uh, prope propelled him to do more work than the other apostles. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as 
raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in sub- subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. Like, <coughs> excuse me. That God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? What are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, I, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we'll die. We die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that uh, is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind of humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heaven is of one kind, and the glory of the earth is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for the star differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. So all that said... He's bringing it into the main point here, talking about the resurrection that is rooted in Jesus, right? So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. 
Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, and the second man is from heaven. As uh, was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. Uh, as is a man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this imperishable body must put on the imperishable, and this moral body must be immorality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the moral puts on immorality, then shall come to pass, saying that is written, Death is swallowed by in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brother, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now concerning the collection of the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week each of you to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letters to carry your gifts to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey, wherever I go. For I do not want you to see me uh, uh, on my journey. Oh, for, I'm sorry. For I do not want you to see now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the, with the brothers." Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to visit you with other brothers. But it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you, not, you know that the household of Stephanas were the first cover, converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of saints, be subject to those as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanas and Fortunatus and Archaeus, Archaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. To churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquilia and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hard, hearty greetings in the Lord. 
All the brothers sent you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. May love be with you. All in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow. Um, I am looking forward to reading the Second Corinthians next Friday. And I actually had a question for those who are still here and those who might be watching this later. Just leave it in the comment below. Um, does this time work better? So instead of doing in the morning at 9 a.m. Central Time, I'm actually thinking, what if I actually targeted the lunchtime? So maybe we start at 11 a.m. or noon. Um, and just want to hear from you guys, like, would that time work out better than 9 a.m.? And I thought maybe that can also give me some time to rest in the morning and wake up and even warm up my voice and get ready to read the Word of God. Uh, but just want to hear what works better for people. I know that it's always online afterwards, but it is fun to have a little bit of dialogue, just like Harry and Henson and Sun and Austin. I'm so glad you guys are here making some comments on the live chat, um, but really enjoy it. And, and second question. So first question, what time works better for people? Second question, um, do you want me to just straight up read or do you enjoy the commentaries that I give? I know that that probably takes a little bit longer because I give commentaries, um, but I could just just read from the beginning to the end. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, I love giving insights and I love uh, talking about God's words, so I can do that anytime. And so that's kind of the two questions I have for you. Uh, let me know what you think in the comments below. But again, thanks for joining in. Uh, it's always a delight to read the Word of God and learn more about who He is, His love for us, and it just it's just beautiful. So, thanks for tuning in, and I will see you guys on Monday as uh, we'll be back to MRE Podcast, Monday, Wednesday, and then next Friday. Yeah. All right. Take care, and goodbye, everybody. Yeah, let's, let's end this. Goodbye. <laughs>